Broadcasting from the Business Radio X studios, it's time for Workplace MVP. Workplace MVP is brought to you by R3 Continuum, a global leader in workplace behavioral health and security solutions. Now, here's your host, Jamie Gassman. Hi, everyone. Your host, Jamie Gassman here, and welcome to this episode of Workplace MVP. On January 30th, 2006, at 7.15 p.m., Jennifer San Marco, a former U.S. Postal Service employee, returned to the Santa Barbara Distribution Center where she once worked. Now, this return was not to reconnect with coworkers and catch up on what's been going on in their lives because she happened to be in the neighborhood. No, she was returning with violent intentions. And on that evening, she shot and killed her previous neighbor, and six of her former coworkers at a postal facility before taking her own life. The agents who investigated this case are unsure or, you know, just unclear a little bit of like what her true motives or intentions were by committing this act of violence. Was it out of revenge? Was it due to some of the, due to racism or related to some mental, her mental health condition that she had Um, There was certainly evidence of all of those reasonings in her background that led up to this event, but how could the employer have known she would come back and commit harm? And the reality is in this case that they had no indication that it would occur. You know, and looking out over history, this is not the first time that a situation like this has happened in a work environment. And as we can see in the daily news, it wasn't and won't be the last time. Unfortunately, situations like this happen way too often putting any work environment and organization at risk, regardless of their size, industry, you know, or, you know, location. So what can an employer do to prevent or mitigate this risk? And if unfortunately they do experience an event like this, what can they do to lessen the impact it might have on their organization and its people? Well, with us today is Workplace MVP, Oscar Villanueva, Managing Director of Security Services at R3 Continuum. Villanueva was an agent and executive for the U.S. Postal Inspection Service, the law enforcement arm of the Postal Service, where he oversaw the Los Angeles Division and his agency response and investigation into the Santa Barbara Distribution Center shooting. He is with us today to share his experience managing this investigation and from the work that he has done in consulting organizations on how to help prevent and mitigate workplace violence and security risk. So welcome to the show, Oscar. Thank you, Jamie. It's a pleasure to be here today and uh, to have this conversation with you about this important topic. I'm looking forward to it. Oh, and I'm looking forward to hearing your great thoughts and and sharing some insights with our 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 audience. So let's start out getting kind of a understanding of your career journey and kind of talking a little bit about the work you've done in the U.S. Postal Inspection Service and and where your career is at right now. Sure. Uh, so I have over 30 years in federal law enforcement and corporate security consulting um, domestically and internationally as well. I've had a, an excellent a very enjoyable career in both. Uh, in all those years, um, uh, one of my main focuses was workplace violence in uh, my work in federal law enforcement and also for the past 10 years in corporate security. And uh, it has very interesting work. Um, and that, uh, along many other uh, areas that I 
have been involved with, uh, you know, physical security investigations. Um, and now, um, as I get more and more into corporate security consulting, I really appreciate the opportunity to help individuals and organizations um, navigate the difficulties of security overall uh, and risk issues that come up. Um, and now, especially, you know, as the topic of this uh, podcast episode is uh, workplace violence. It's, it's a very uh, difficult uh, topic to discuss because there's uh, obviously some uh, unsavory situations that happen out there almost every day. Uh, and I think anything that can come of this conversation and the work that I do and have been doing um, is, is welcome. Just helping people and organizations uh, get passed through this type of very difficult situations that happen with workplace violence. Yeah, absolutely. So looking at the events of January 30th, 2006, I know you you shared with me that you were a part of that investigation. Talk me through, you know, that incident and, you know, how it, you know, occurred and then also some of the things that you're able to share in the aftermath. Well, that was a very difficult time in a number of in a number of ways. Uh, at the time, I was working in Los Angeles uh, as the head of the Los Angeles division of the U.S. Postal Inspection Service, and of course, we were notified that evening um, that there had been a shooting at uh, the Santa Barbara Processing and Distribution Center, which is located actually in Golita, which is a, a, a city just north of Santa Barbara, sort of a suburb of Santa Barbara, north north of the, the Santa Barbara city. Um, and what had occurred uh, that we didn't know at the time, but once we responded, found out that this, uh, this woman and former employee at this facility uh, had been to the facility, had gained access uh, into the parking area and then into the facility and had uh, shot six employees and then committed suicide. Um, right there in the middle of the workroom floor. And before going to the postal facility, she actually went and visited a former employee, a former neighbor that appears to have had some kind of disagreement with, uh, with her over the years and shot and killed that person first. And then she went on to the facility and committed the horrific uh, uh, shooting where six employees uh, lost their lives. Um, this was a, uh, a facility that had uh, um, been uh, evaluated for security. It had good security measures, but like anything else, uh, the possibility of someone who is focused on causing harm to somebody uh, being able to perpetrate that uh, happens, and sometimes it cannot be uh, cannot be stopped. Um, it was a horrific scene. Um, the day uh, that this happened, and those affected by the tragedy um, were re- very difficult to, to observe because, you know, if you can imagine you have employees, this happened at the end of, uh, of a shift, it happened around, you know, 7 to 9 p.m. in the evening at night, and it was the end of a shift, and as people were thinking of leaving and going home and others coming into work, this that's when this happened. And we believe that she she knew the uh, the shifts uh, at this facility and uh, used that information to get there at the right time. Uh, so it was it was a horrific day, a terrible day. Uh, mm-hmm. But as anything else, um, you know, this too this too shall pass, as they say. And uh, there was an investigation. 
there was a lot of support for uh, employees and family members. And, uh, you know, it's if, if there's anything to be learned out of it, I hope that uh, uh, some of that comes out today in our conversation. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, so one of the first questions I have for you and is, you know, as a leader, you know, leading that investigation, you know, what was the first thing that went through your mind um, when you heard the news and then obviously had to, to respond? What was the first thing that went through your mind? Well, I think the first thing that went through my mind is how are we going to um, uh, respond to this and mitigate it? This is, these are very large uh, events. Um, they usually require the support of multiple law enforcement agencies. In this case, the first ones to get there was the uh, Santa Barbara County Sheriff's who did a tremendous job and they were excellent at, at doing their work. Uh, we also had the California Highway Patrol come out because when you have fatalities, there's specific uh, expertise that you need to process a crime scene. And of course we were there, uh, the Postal Inspection Service was, was there in significant numbers as well to, to uh, help with the investigation. Um, so just the victims of the families, uh, the, the victims and their families actually, uh, where my first concern, aside from how to respond and how to do an excellent job on this, which is not easy, always easy, um, when you when you have uh, family members who went to work uh, at the regular time and uh, they don't make it back home, that's a that's a really really difficult situation. So you know, as you can imagine, after these individuals that were the victims uh, did not show up, did not get home, their family members started coming to. The facility to find out what happened. So, seeing that you know, seeing that anxiety and that you know desire to figure out what happened to their family members, whether they maybe they had gone somewhere else and didn't make it home, or maybe they were victims of the shooting, was difficult to see. And so, my concern was really for the victims and their families, and my desire to really support them, um, them and, and others affected by the tragedy tragedy there were maybe a thousand employees working at that time and all of those individuals were affected by this as well uh, and again they just came to work that day not knowing that something tragic was going to happen later and seeing the devastation is really heartbreaking and it really has been a catalyst for me to work on preventing and mitigating this type of incidents from occurring in the future so i know that uh you know when i work with um with clients that are having difficulties with workplace violence or conducting a threat assessment, there's, a, there's, there's something inside of me that wishes I can really prevent anything from happening because I know what it looks like when something terrible does occur. And I, I hope that uh, in any way, if in any way can, it can be prevented, that it, it can be done so that they don't have to go through this, this situation. Yeah. Cause there's definitely this ripple effect, right? You know, when that incident sure. happens, it's not just those that are on that facility, it's the family, it's the community, it's others in the organization that are, you know, maybe not at that particular location, but worked with somebody that was, or, so there's definitely this kind of spread kind of uh, effect that occurs. So in looking at like the aftermath of that situation, I know the family was probably one of the hardest things to navigate with that, but what, what are some of the other things that are particularly hard to navigate in a, with it when a situation like that occurs? Well, as you mentioned, I think the victims' families were the toughest, absolute toughest mm-hmm. um, uh, situation to handle. Uh, again, because they're asking questions that you don't have an answer for at the moment. Yeah. 
and uh, they show up in great numbers. And and I think this is this is something that's very interesting about this incident. There's so many uh, factors that go into play in responding to one of these things that most companies and most organizations really have not thought of. For example, the family showing up. How do you handle them? In this particular case, uh, the way it was done is uh, uh, a church uh, two or three blocks away was asked if we could use their their church. And so whenever family members showed up at the site, they were routed to the church where they can they could wait until we were able to come over and give them an update. The other part that was really difficult to 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 handle, and, and again, this is something that a lot of organizations and individuals haven't thought about, a lot of leaders haven't thought about, is the media. Um, there were at least 25 media outlets that showed up, and as in any, and, and they were all, all kinds from national uh, chain, uh, networks to local, uh, local TV stations, uh, newspaper, radio, they were all there. And just managing that was, uh, was difficult. How do you keep them away from the crime scene? Uh, how do you give them enough information for them to be satisfied? Because you know what happens with the media sometimes. If you don't, if you don't give them information, they're going to go look for it somewhere else. And oftentimes that information is not going to be accurate. So managing through the media part of this was uh, also somewhat uh, difficult. I would say that working with other law enforcement agencies was relatively um, straightforward in that, you know, this, unfortunately, you know, acts of criminal activity happen frequently and there's always agencies working with each other. So that worked okay. But I would say the victim families dealing with the victims, not only the ones that were deceased, but other employees at the site with uh, postal management and also with the media, those three were probably the hardest um, areas to navigate. Uh, right after this. Yeah, I guess, you know, con- controlling the scene, but controlling the messaging too, the communications going out, it's got to be very challenging. Um, in looking at your staff and the work environment, because um, obviously, if I'm understanding kind of the investigation role, you weren't working inside this facility, you you were in a different office somewhere else nearby, correct? When the, you know, when that incident well, occurred? Well, the, the Los Angeles Division of the Postal Inspection Service has multiple offices all throughout uh, uh, L.A. County, down in Orange County, all the way down to San Diego. Mm-hmm. And so uh, if you can imagine when when the call went out that this had a per um, inspectors, that's, that's what the agents are calling the inspection service inspectors, responded from all these different uh, locations and they all converged at the Goleta Processing and Distribution Center. Um, And so, um, you know, everybody's there. Everybody wants to help. Sometimes there is something to do. Sometimes there is not much to do until later. So navigating through that was not not easy. And the fact that it happened at, uh, you know, 9 o'clock at night, around 9 o'clock at night, and uh, most of us arrived an hour or two later because we were uh, large distances away from there. Again, the... uh, Santa Barbara County sheriffs are the ones that responded first, and they were the ones that had the SWAT team inside looking for the shooter because at that time they didn't know that the, that the person had committed suicide, the shooter had committed suicide. So I think uh, the impact on, on my, my staff was um, psychological, for sure. You know, uh, all, of, all of us as postal inspectors, we're federal law enforcement agents, but we're also postal employees. 
And many of us started in the postal service, either working at a, at a processing plant like this one uh, or working in another area of the postal service. Sometimes you come into the postal inspection service directly from another law enforcement agency, but many of these individuals that were responding were former operations workers at the postal service and now they were agents. And so you can easily place yourself in the situation that these other employees were at, at the, at the plant. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, of course, uh, you know, they have families that are wondering what's happening because this is all over the news. And you have your coworkers. You know, we all know people in the postal service that work in other capacities, you know, executives, employees, carriers, clerks. And so you start thinking about all these different people. So it, it really, you know, even though it happened in one location, it really affects a broad range of, of employees and facilities within the postal service because, you know, it's, it's like one big family. And if it, if it happened there, it could happen anywhere. Yeah. So. I, I would say the impact on on, on uh, the employees that uh, that were working with me is was largely psychological, and uh, I think it was it was just a difficult day, and 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 the week after that uh, was also hard because now you're trying to figure out what happened here, and so you know you have to really dig deep into the uh, the cause and and why why did this happen to begin with, which it was not easy to to determine in this case. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, in your opinion, you know, looking at, cause you know, we talk a lot about, you know, when you're looking at workplace violence, there's that prevention side of it and trying to prevent it from happening in that work environment. But in the event that it does, you know, how do you mitigate that impact afterwards? And there's so many different things that are impacted, you know, the family members, the other employees there, the culture within the work environment itself, you know, and so it's like, how do you mitigate all of that? You know, from your kind of experience and working in this 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 field and maybe from this particular situation itself, what do you typically see in your opinion for how long it takes for an organization to recover and return to kind of a, a new normal? Because obviously there's not going to be like what it was before the incident, but what typically is that time frame? Or I mean, I'm sure it varies, but what do you typically see for that kind of turnaround in terms of a recovery? Well, I, I think that I don't think you ever fully recover from this, to be honest mm-hmm. with you, because you're seeing in, in the case of the postal facility, you're seeing you're seeing your coworkers um, shot dead, which is not yeah. a, a pleasant thing to see. And no. it's difficult to recover from that. Um, the Postal Service did, I think, did an excellent job at dealing with um, with the aftermath. There was uh EAP resources on site. There was a lot of um, mental health resources and other resources that were provided to all employees. Um, and they were there for, for a long time, um, just allowing people to, to heal and to figure things out on their own and just being available whenever they were ready to talk about it. Um, and it took, a, it took a while. I can tell you that at the one-year mark after this occurred, there was a dedication on site that I was able to attend where they planted some, some trees in, 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 uh, in the memory of the, those that lost their lives. Um, and so they, I think they did an excellent job at sort of keeping it, um, keeping it real, as they say these days, you know, um, making sure that, that people understood that they were uh, 
valued and that there was care that they can seek and and, and assistance that they can uh, they can get uh, on the side of uh, of our response team. You know, when I think about the employees that I work with, uh, responding to this, all the agents and people that were involved in that is the same. I don't think I don't think it ever really goes away. You, there's always something that little memory that's in there that gets triggered whenever you see another shooting occur. And unfortunately, here in the U.S., we seem to have uh, quite a few of those happening. So how long does it take? It's hard to tell. I think it really depends on the work that the leaders at the organization do to make people feel uh, valued and uh, supported because it takes time and it is very traumatic. So uh, I think the more work you do immediately right after the event, the, the better the outcome is in the long run. And I think mental health is really the key to getting back to uh, to getting back to to work and getting back to normal, which is really what everybody is looking for. You know, they don't want to keep reliving this over and over again. They want to get past it, and uh, that's what I that's what I saw in this situation. Yeah, and we're gonna um, later in the show we're gonna talk a little bit about what leaders can do. You know, from a preventative and a recovery standpoint. But just a quick question in terms of the work you've done. Obviously, I know there was probably a lot of learning that you acquired from that day. But in in kind of your career and just looking out over the work that you've done, what are some of the key learnings that you yourself have had um, that have helped you to be able to give sound advice to other workplaces? Well, I think it, at the end of the day, when you have a as a leader, when you have a situation like this or any anything else that's traumatic for a uh, a team or a workplace, you really need to take care of your team, uh, especially their mental health. And you, it's really important that you take care of your own mental health uh, because as a leader, if you, you know, that you're only as good as the, the team around you and the team around you uh, need somebody to point them in the right direction so they can go and do what they do best. And I think the, the ability to remain, um, to remain in the moment, to, to understand what your role is, to be able to um, work through difficulty is really important. So mental health uh, support for your team, for yourself, especially uh, after something like this has occurred, really goes a long way. Understanding your feelings, understanding how, what sort of responses you're going to experience. Uh, and just, you know, making sure that people understand that you appreciate their support, you appreciate their work, uh, and, and keeping that team uh, mentality, that, key, that team atmosphere is really, really uh, important in order for you to be able to perform and do well in the future. But, you know, this is... You know, there's many, many types of activities that teams engage in. This happens to be one that can be difficult from a psychological perspective because you're seeing people uh, harmed, you're seeing uh, lives destroyed, you're seeing a lot of different things that, you know, the average individual, individual doesn't have to deal with. I mean, you see it in the news, but you're not directly involved in it. So I would say uh, mental health, the, the availability of mental health um, support before and after and just ongoing is really, really important. Yeah, great. So we're going to talk a little bit more about some of the, the ways that leaders can, can protect their work environments and help their teams. But we're going to take a moment and hear from our sponsor, 
Workplace MVP is sponsored by R3 Continuum. R3 Continuum is a global leader in providing expert, reliable, responsive, and tailored behavioral health, disruption, and violence solutions to promote workplace well-being and performance in the face of an ever-changing and often unpredictable world. Learn more about how R3 Continuum can tailor a solution for your organization's unique challenges by visiting r3c.com today. So continuing to move into this, so we shared, you know, this particular active shooter situation and the the <clears throat> events, how they unfolded and the, and the investigation, but that's not the only type of workplace violence or criminal attack or risk organizations that, that risk orga- that organizations face. Can you talk to me a little bit about what are some of the other types of security and risk issues that are common in work environments that sometimes employers aren't really aware of? And, you know, because I know I've talked to a number of workplaces myself, and a lot of times they go to the active shooter scenario, but there's so many more, there's so many more, you know, ways um, that employers can be impacted. Can you talk through those for us? Yes. Uh, so, uh, you know, a- active shooter situation and workplace violence is one that uh, most companies uh, face at one time or another, right? I've heard from a colleague one day that there's only two kinds of companies, one that has had a workplace violence issue and one that will have a workplace violence issue. So that's kind of a, a given that at some point there will be some 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 problem. And most of workplace violence is not an active shooter situation. Sometimes it's a threat Sometimes it's a fight on the workroom floor. Sometimes it's uh, bullying. Sometimes it's sexual harassment. So it takes a lot of different, um, it, it manifests itself in a lot of different ways. And other types of, um, of threats or, or concerns that, that organizations and companies face and risk is uh, to their physical security. For example, um, theft of uh, property, uh, theft of intellectual property rights. Uh, sometimes you have issues with um, insider threats, for example, an employee that's stealing or employee misconduct. Uh, you may also have issues with uh, emergency preparedness uh, situations where you have a natural disaster or a man-made disaster that you need to deal with and recover from. Uh, and and then the business continuity of the company or, or the, the the facility or the organization uh, after after that. Uh, so there are some number of different areas that can be a problem from a security and risk perspective for for companies. And I think this is a good a good uh, spot to mention that you know the average company is not in the business of security or risk mitigation. You know, the average company is, is either manufacturing something or selling a service or providing uh, support or doing something along those lines. And their main line of business is not security or risk mitigation. And uh, sometimes companies tend to forget that, you know, your business is only going to operate properly if places are secure and you have a plan in place to deal with uh, security and risk uh, uh, issues. Uh, and that's what I do a lot of my work in, you know, just providing that advice and that consulting, uh, consultancy to, to help uh, organizations get to that point. But uh, there's a variety of, of types and, and kinds of um, risks and, and potential security attacks that occur. And sometimes because they don't happen often, uh, companies and organizations tend to be complacent about it. And uh, 
don't really put a lot of uh, attention into it. But there's a number of things to be concerned about uh, and be prepared for. Yeah. I mean, looking at employers, you know, I think you and I have had a conversation before in the past where, you know, we should, we, we discussed that how having just even the, the, having a workplace violence plan in place and a program that you're following and then being proactive and communicating that at the onboarding of employees can in and of itself be a preventative measure because the employees know what's being tolerated or not tolerated. So, you know, with that example in mind that, you know, you, you and I have kind of talked about what are, you know, how can an employer, you know, what can they do to help lessen the chances that there's going to be a violent incident in their work environment? Well, I think, you know, if you think about overall risk and overall security concerns and threats, I think there's a few things that every company and facility should consider having, every company and organization. Uh, and these are very straightforward. They can be put together relatively uh, quickly, and uh, they often take uh, into account the company's or the organization's culture, which is really important when you put some of these things together that I'm going to talk about. But I would suggest that every every facility uh, should have a facility security plan. And by that, I mean a uh, some kind of document. You can have it online. You can have it written as a paper document. But something that says, if this happens, this is what you do. And this is your contact. And here's where the nearest hospital is. And here's the police department contact that you should uh, get a hold of. And if anything happens in this facility, these are the uh, leaders in the organization that you need to contact and notify. A facility security plan is important for every every facility, and it's relatively straightforward to put together. The other the other thing that employers can you can can do to sort of uh, mitigate uh, uh, risk and security issues is to create a workplace violence program that deals with how the company is going to handle reports of workplace violence. And again, you know, they fall in all kinds of different categories from threats, uh, assaults, sexual harassment, all the way down to an active shooter situation. Um, But putting together a workplace violence program is important. And and in this program, what you want to include is um, who has a responsibility for what, uh, how is management going to handle reports of workplace violence, how will it work to mitigate bullying and other behavior, harassment, and sexual harassment that, that, that occurs in, in the workplace, and we know that it does occur almost everywhere. Uh, just to pl- put together a program along with a plan and a policy that says, this is how this company will handle uh, workplace violence situations, and here's our policy where we don't tolerate it. And this is what will happen if we find it at work. So that would be the second, the second recommendation that I would have. The the third recommendation is to put together and to have in place an executive uh, emergency preparedness and business continuity plan. So if you happen to have a tornado happen someplace or a hurricane come, uh, or if you have an earthquake, or if you have a fire or any kind of uh, natural or man-made disaster that comes your way, how are you going to deal with that? And how are you going to ensure that your organization and your company is going to get back to work as soon as possible in order to continue your business? Uh, And that can be uh, accomplished ahead of time if you put together an uh, an emergency preparedness plan 
and a business continuity plan. Again, this, this can be done. It's not, you know, many companies have this, but many others don't. Uh, and it can really help mitigate and prepare for the uh, situation where you have an emergency preparedness or uh, an emergency situation, a crisis situation that occurs. Then I would, uh, I would suggest that along with these documents, a fourth uh, recommendation would be to have an overall security plan which basically talks about the organization as a whole, not just a facility, but the entire organization. And it would include policies, procedures, uh, internal resources, external resources, who to contact, um, how to handle security issues when, when they do show up. And then the final, final uh, uh, point that I wanna share here, and then this is just as important as all the others, is uh, training. Uh, training and security awareness and training and situational awareness by, by um, socializing employees to the possibility that you may have a criminal attack or a workplace violence issue. Uh, it's, it, it's, you, you're already halfway there when it comes to preventing and mitigating issues from occurring and being able to handle them when they do, when they do happen. And situational awareness specifically is really important because it helps you be aware of your surroundings and it's helpful in your work environment as well as in your personal life. Um, you know, taking your kids to the movies or going shopping, you know, something can happen there. You know, usually things are safe and nothing occurs. But if something was to happen, thinking ahead and being aware of what's going on around you and how you will respond to that is really, really uh, important. So those would be my recommendations of what employers can, can do. Yeah, those are some great recommendations and they sound pretty straightforward in terms of like kind of this checklist of things to do and and knowing that, you know, we the you know, violence can happen anywhere and it can happen to any size organization. From what you've seen, why do some like organizational leaders not make this a top priority in securing their workplaces? Well, I think there's there's a couple of reasons. One is that most organizations are not again they're not in the security and risk management business. They're into you know tech or manufacturing or whatever other um, business they're in, and so this becomes this is almost like an afterthought. It's not something that's top of mind, and um, I think it's important. So that that's one of one of the reasons. The other reason is that it does cost some money to put these plans together and to prepare. And uh, oftentimes organizations don't see it as an expense that needs to happen at that moment in time. Uh, but uh, there are many organizations that have this reasoning and what ends up happening is they're uh, penny wise and, and pound foolish or dollar foolish in that, uh, you know, when, when, when they, they have the opportunity to do these prevention efforts at, at a certain cost, they don't do it, but when they do have an incident, there's no limit as to how much money they will spend in attorneys and consultants and advisors and, and, and the rest. So I would argue that if, if you don't have these things in place, these prevention methods in place, you will end up paying a lot more uh, in the future uh, because of that lack of preparedness. Yeah, <clears throat> I can't recall the dollar amount, but I think I've read somewhere that you know it's like 100 times more after the fact, after the fact, than what you would have paid if you had just done that, you know, a plan up front, it's going to yeah. save you a lot in the long run, because especially in a litigation situation, 
you can show you had, you know, due diligence in protecting that work environment. And so, and I've seen in some cases where the judges, you know, identify that the, the, the employer had done everything they could to prevent that it was completely out of their control. Is that something that you've also seen in, in the aftermath of some of these incidents? Yes, I think that there is significant liability when it comes to some of this, uh, some of these issues, because there is a, uh, the uh, OSHA uh, Act, I think it was of 1970, um, dictates that every workplace, every organization, every, every facility has the responsibility of maintaining a workplace free of hazards. That's the language that uh, OSHA uses in, in, their, uh, in their language. And what that basically means is that you, you have the responsibility as an employer to keep a place uh, that is safe. For, for a work environment. If you have a workplace violence issue that you're not addressing, if you have a bullying situation that you're not addressing, if you don't have uh, proper physical security measures to keep intruders from coming in, um, all of those are instances that someone can uh, gravitate towards and file a lawsuit because you did not do your duty as an employer to keep the place safe and secure. Uh, so I would argue that one of the great motivators, if employers start thinking about, about this, is the fact that there is liability involved in a lot of these situations. And that can be mitigated by uh, putting in place uh, programs and policies and practices that uh, address these concerns. It's, again, it's, it's cheaper in the, in the long run to do that than to wait for something to happen and then face uh, liability lawsuits and Loss of life, God forbid. Absolutely. So looking out at the, over the last two years, you know, there's been a great number of employees that have moved to a remote work environment where they were originally inside an office setting. You also have some employees who have been in, in, you know, roles where they work with the public. So they haven't been able to have that ability from a remote environment, but they're dealing with more um, increased frustration and stress from general public. And you have employees now, employers that I've started to see that are starting to, you know, where they, they were allowing this remote work or hybrid setting are now looking at it and going, nope, we really need you back in the office. So all of these shifts and changes and challenges that we've been experiencing, you know, navigating the pandemic has created a lot of that, you know, kind of mentioned that frustration and stress and you're seeing more situations occurring, you know, like on planes. I know there's a lot of plane stories with like the mask mandates and you've seen a lot of, you know, incidents occurring in stores and restaurants, you know, so it feels like violence is more on the rise than what it maybe was prior to the pandemic. And so I'd like to get your thoughts on that, but then I'd also, from an employer's perspective, because I imagine that a lot of them have not been thinking about this over the last year, that, that protecting their people and their organization, particularly with this return to office, I think a lot of it's going to be focused around like that health aspect, you know, and how do I keep them safe from catching the pandemic or the the COVID? Um, What is some of your perspective on what employers should be thinking about if they are looking at bringing their employees back into the office or if they are still working in a frontline kind of role? What are some of the things that you would be recommending that these employers start thinking about if they haven't already? Well, I think that uh, there's a couple of factors that 
come into play here. One is the um, people who have been working remotely seem to like it. And so there is likely to be backlash when somebody is told you got to come back to the office and you have to get back on your car and you have to commute again and you have to pay for lunch and you got to do all these things that we all have done working in an office someplace. So there, there could be some, re some resentment there once they've tasted working from home. And I, I would argue that productivity has not really suffered uh, from what I can tell, at least from my experience from working from home as opposed to working from a facility, uh, I, I, would, I would expect that there would be some resentment from having to come back to, to work. The other area that uh, appears to be a concern, and I, I would expect this to continue to be a concern, is the, the polarization of our beliefs when it comes to vaccine, no vaccine, mask, no mask, um, you know, all of these really divided uh, um, thoughts that we have when it comes to a lot of these different things. So um, I would say that the main concern I would have, aside from, you know, the health issues and making sure that everyone is safe from that perspective, is the potential for workplace violence, because you will see friction occur when people come back to work. Uh, you see it on planes, you know, you see people flying on planes that don't want to wear a mask and they're they're willing to uh, foolishly put themselves, you know, in jail uh, just to prove a point that they don't want to wear a mask. Something that's so very simple, even if you don't 100% agree with it, it's a requirement. So I would expect that when people come back to work, they're going to experience friction. There's going to be anxiety and there, there's likely to be resentment from having to come back to commuting and to working in a place when they were doing well working from home. Those are for the ones that are working at home. Uh, and of course, you know, when you have frustration uh, and you're coming back to work, that frustration is going to manifest itself in different ways. If you go to a restaurant and you're not treated exactly the way you want to be treated, well, you're already in a bad mood. So that may cause you to lash out at somebody. So I would I would say my advice would be to employers to, to, to pay attention to that friction that's likely to occur, to consider the possibility that these people are not going to be 100% happy about having to come back to work, that there's going to be some friction, and uh, to consider putting together or at least um, thinking about a workplace violence prevention program in order to mitigate the possibility of that occurring. Yeah, great. And looking out over just in general, this topic and, you know, what employers, maybe some that have been kind of on the fence of adding a workplace violence program or, um, you know, maybe just haven't thought about it, you know, what would be something that you would want to leave with them as kind of a takeaway or an action item that they need to do at at least a minimum where they can start kind of mitigating that workplace violence um, or workplace violence situation in their office? Yeah, so it's, it's pretty straightforward. You know, they should be, to put together a workplace violence program, I would recommend would be the top, top thing that employers should do uh, in this situation. And uh, it is fairly straightforward. It takes a little bit of uh, research within the company, the culture, the type of issues that they've encountered in the past, the potential problems that they will you know, encounter going forward. 
Um, and, and so I would suggest, uh, you know, this potentially could be done internally if you have the expertise. But I would say that more than anything, it's important to, to bring somebody in that has those types of um, that type of experience and expertise to help put uh, something together. But I would say a workplace violence, again, remains an important uh uh, part of what the uh, employer should be thinking about doing as people come back to work and and, and just overall in this current uh, you know situation that we have with the pandemic. Yeah. Are there any solutions that you would recommend, you know, for where they might be able to seek out expert support for that if like they don't have that uh, expertise in-house? Are there places that they could go to get that expertise? Well, I think that there's a number of uh, professionals that do this kind of work, me being one of them uh, through our three continuum. But, you know, it's really important to, to find somebody. I, I think uh, uh, it's important to make sure that they have the past experience in doing this type of work and they have a track record of success. Um, I also believe that when it comes to workplace violence, uh, for example, it's important to combine security and behavioral health uh, because that's what's going to give you the best result. You know, there's always a little bit of both components or a lot of both components in every single situation that I've ever encountered. But I think it's important to find a professional that has done this before, knows what they're talking about, uh, and can really help to put something together that's going to be meaningful and helpful. Great. It's been really a great conversation and, and very insightful in hearing from you, from your experience. So if our listeners wanted to get a hold of you and ask more questions or find out, you know, how they could vet, you know, a vendor, you know, how can they get a hold of you to do that? Well, I, I would, I would say the best way to get a hold of me is to contact me at uh, Oscar, O-S-C-A-R dot Villanueva, V-I, and Victory, I-L-L-A-N-U-E-V-A at R3Continuum or R3C.com. Let me do that again. Oscar, O-S-C-A-R dot Villanueva, V-I-L-L-A-N-U-E-V-A at R3C.com. That would be the simplest. It's just a quick email and I'm, I'm happy to talk to anybody who's interested in discussing this a little bit more. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Oscar, for being on our show and letting us celebrate you and the great work that you've done in your career. It was very insightful and I really appreciate you sharing. I'm sure that was a very difficult story to walk us through, um, but really appreciate you sharing your experiences with us and the and our listeners. I really, truly appreciate you as a guest. Thank you, Jamie. It's been a pleasure talking with you and I hope we can do this again sometime. Absolutely. We also want to thank our show sponsor, R3 Continuum, for supporting the Workplace MVP podcast. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in. If you've not already done so, make sure to subscribe so you get our most recent episodes and other resources. You can also follow our show on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter at Workplace MVP. If you are a workplace MVP or know someone who is, we want to hear from you. Email us at info at workplace-mvp.com. Thank you all for joining us and have a great rest of your day.